before we get to the word, let's go again. Seek the Lord's favor on his word tonight, or this morning. Heavenly Father, we're praying that your word may be a blessing to us in this hour as we read from it, as we receive it in its ministry, and also as we respond to it, both here and wherever it is to which you've called us to be faithful to you and like you. We'd ask that your spirit may so work in us, in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're going to be taking a look at uh, Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13 this morning, and also uh, taking a look at another one of the fruit of the Spirit in that third triplet, you might say, that begins with faithfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control coming up yet. So we're thinking about Galatians 5.22 in the context of Galatians 5.22 as well, but also to help us, we look at Luke 16, 1 through 13, that speaks to us about faithfulness in the parable of the dishonest manager. So we read from Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13, 11, 13 in the Pew Bible, and uh, then also Galatians 5.22 as we carry on in the Fruit of the Spirit series. Luke 16, verse 1, God's word starts with us there. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, well, what shall I do? Shall my master since my master's taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, a, I'm too ashamed to beg, or I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we thank God for this portion of his word. As again, think about Galatians 5.22 also, where it speaks about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. 
Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder about the boys and girls who are here today, if they ever think about how many ways, if they ever count to themselves, how many ways that they can depend on their parents. For meals, for rides, for being there at programs, maybe helping with homework. Can they count on you, though, as you think about the different ways that they're people that you can count on? Can they count on you? To be home at a certain time? Help around the house? To, to treat your brothers and your sisters with respect and decently? Or people in your class? Or your teacher? Can they trust what you say? And can they do that because you know that that's how they've been with you? But more importantly, can they depend on you because you know that you can depend on God? We hear about being faithful this morning. Dependable. Faithful to the Lord and faithful like the Lord. And that's what we're called to be. To both in our lives as part of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. First, our focus is on faithfulness in terms of being faithful to the Lord. The word that's used in Galatians 5.22 to describe or to be translated faithfulness in our translation is also the word that we use for faith. It's pistis. It's translated faithfulness in newer Bible translations because that kind of a form of a word corresponds well with other virtues that are mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness, goodness, gentleness. So we add faithfulness that way. It fits. And it's a legitimate translation of the word. And whether you're talking about faithfulness to the Lord or faithfulness like the Lord, you're talking about dependability and, and being unmoved, loyalty, steadfastness, sticking to things, persevering, finishing what you started. The letter of Galatians itself is a very good place to find insight about faithfulness to the Lord. It's part of the reason why Paul had to write the letter in the first place. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul was concerned right away about how these people were quickly deserting Paul's apostolic instruction and turning to a different gospel. See, there was that lack, among some, of faithfulness. They were deserting. In chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks about those who had been bewitched because now they were trying to find, win favor with the Lord through what they were doing rather than through faith in what only Christ could do for them. In chapter 4, verse 15, he asks, what has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I mean, there was loyalty there. There was faithfulness there. There was an appreciation for not just Paul the person, but of course 
Paul the preacher. But it was both things, right? There was that loyalty to him, but also this faithfulness, this, this persevering appreciation that they had for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How have I now become your enemy? By telling you the truth. And that's because, as he says again later in chapter 4, verse 17, that there are those who are trying to win the Galatians over to their way of thinking. Galatians 5, verse 7 says they've been running a good race. You know, they were faithful. They were carrying on. They were persevering. They were heading towards the goal. And yet, for some reason, the freedom that they had in Christ was jeopardized by this observing of things unnecessarily. And for a lot of them at that time, in their context, it had to do with being circumcised. That you had to be circumcised in order to be able to be right with God. He says, somebody has cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. Apparently, faithfulness is mentioned in part that uh, spiritual freedom, so that people could see that spiritual freedom cannot be found, spiritual joy can't be found, without a continued faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Not just for a day, but forever. A faithfulness to the Lord. <clears throat> because when that sufficiency is doubted, my friends, life gets miserable. They go together. You doubt the sufficiency of Christ and life gets miserable. And regret tears at us. Well, I should have done this or I could have done that or I would have done that. And how could the Lord accept me with all my shortcomings and my failings and my sins? Because I, every day I do that and if I deny that, then I'm deceived and the truth isn't in me. And that becomes a heavy load for people. Because if you get this mentality where merit is the way to your freedom, you're enslaved. Because you never get there. Every non-Christian religion has that mentality. You never get to the point of being in favor with God. So you can never say that you're a child of God. You can never share in His promises that way because... You're just never getting to the point of, of, of right relationship with the Lord. And why is that? It's because people are failing to see that Christ is the only way to get there. Either hopelessness sets in, or other people will have this false assurance that God is going to save them because he's going to weigh in the balance and say, well, you know, you did more good things than you did bad things. Come on in. God doesn't operate like that. If he did, then he wouldn't be a just God, and you can't, you wouldn't be able to trust him anyway. He wouldn't be faithful. But the fruit of faithfulness includes a call to remain steadfast in your belief all your life that you're not saved by your works but only by the blood and love of Jesus Christ for you. 
And we're not to desert that truth. We're not to be bewitched by another truth. We're not supposed to run any other kind of spiritual race than that. And so we're called to be faithful to the Lord in that manner, in that manner. We're also called to be faithful like the Lord. Faithfulness speaks also to a dependability towards God and to others. To be like God, to be like Christ, to be godly. God's faithfulness is awesome as you ponder it, right? Faithful from eternity. Faithful throughout history. Faithful despite man's sinfulness, which cannot usurp his faithfulness. I mean, why didn't, you know, you go all the way for, to, back to the beginning. Why doesn't he just simply destroy Adam? Well, because he has a covenant of grace to fulfill. He didn't in, it destroy the entire, he, he, it was a global flood, but he didn't it, destroy everything, including Noah, everything but Noah and his family. Why? Because he has a plan of grace to fulfill. God had promised Noah that God had promised Noah that the fear of the animal kingdom would be upon man so that Noah wouldn't be killed after the flood. Why? Humanity wasn't going to be wiped out by the animal kingdom. God had a plan to fulfill. Why not forget about Abraham when he tried to take matters of God's promise into his own hands? Because God had a plan. Jacob the deceiver, stiff-necked Israelites, some saved in the wilderness, not all killed, a promise to David despite lousy kings, Judah exiled but able to return. Why? God has a promise to keep. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, says the Christian. Why? Because God was faithful. Why do Mary and Zechariah and Simeon all praise God? Because God was faithful to his plan to send a Savior who was Christ the Lord, as he had promised. Why did Christ go all the way to the cross and not come down from it? Because he was faithful in the house of God. He was faithful, loyal to those he loved, his father and his people. Why can we believe that whosoever believes on the Son has eternal life and that when we obey the Lord, according to his word, that we will reap a harvest of righteousness? It's because the word of God is faithful. You can depend on it from the beginning of history till now and beyond. God is faithful to his people just like God's forgiven people are forgiving people then, just like God's loving loved people are loving people, just like God's holy people are to be holy, so also God's people who have known his faithfulness, who appreciate his faithfulness, are going to be faithful and dependable and loyal and trustworthy people. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is, is that 
Is that how you look at yourself? That, is that how I look at myself? Versus somebody who has known the dependability of God in my life. Are you one of those people who can truly say that the faithfulness of God is great in your life? And that it will be. You know, sometimes when you're an older person, you, it may seem like older people anyway have this advantage that way, right? Because they got this bigger block of time that they can scan and they can recall and they can say, well, look at all these points over all these decades of how God has been faithful to me. And, and even in those times that I wondered maybe whether or not he would be or not. But yes, he's been faithful to me in all those ways. And I, and I know then that because of that, I can count on him in the future. He won't let me down. But if you're younger, if you're a young person, if you're looking at where you are right now in your younger life, you've got a smaller block that you look at. And you've got a bigger block, if the Lord so wishes it, a bigger block in front of you, and you might be saying, well, how can I be sure then that God's going to be there for me? Well, as much as it's useful and appropriate for us to look back on our lives to see how God has been faithful, we don't have to be old to be assured of our future that way because we've got the whole history of redemption that speaks to us about God's faithfulness. Two testaments, in fact. Old and new. Testimonies to that faithfulness. We can trust God for the future because we can trust the testimony, the testaments in the Bible that God is faithful and the Lord is worth trusting for our salvation, for our life, for our future. And knowing that on the inside is going to show on the outside a devotion to Him. Not to two masters, but to one. A mirrored image of God's faithfulness. And people will be able to look at us as we ponder God's faithfulness that we can be people on whom people can depend because it starts with the fact that we know that we can count on God. Our passage this morning shows us one area that that faithfulness shows in terms of generosity, in terms of what's called, uh, in, the, in the text here, it's, it's called unrighteous wealth. Right? Um, yeah. Unrighteous mammon sometimes. Filthy lucre. That was the way they used to call it in, in, a, in a different translation. Filthy lucre. We don't talk like that too much, so they, they call it unrighteous. Unrighteous wealth. The unjust manager is, is going to be fired. And this passage is teaching the lesson of preparing for heaven by using our earthly wealth. He's going to be fired for mismanaging his master's affairs. But before he goes, before he gets fired officially, he devises a plan that is going to give him a welcome spot, he says, as he devises the plan, in his shrewdness, in the homes of some of the debtors that owe his master money. 
And he says, I'll plan things so that when my job is gone, I'll still have security for the future that way. And so he discounts some of the debts that some of these people have with their master, or with the master. He's going to get fired anyway, so what he decides to do is he's going to make friends with the debtors so that when he doesn't have his job anymore, he knows that they'll welcome him into his home with open arms and he'll have security for the future. Now Jesus said there are some are those who are pretty good at being shrewd in these ways, even though they don't know the Lord. And we know that today even, right? There's a lot of wealthy people who aren't Christians. But he says that as believers, we must learn to make the most of our money. Make the most of unrighteous wealth. Not in terms so much of being wealthy by the time we die, but to be able to use a commodity that's often used for evil, which is why it's called that, and to make the most of it by using it generously. And while the unjust steward was preparing for an earthly future, this would be a way that believers would be preparing for a heavenly future. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What the passage is asking is, are we faithful in our use of money? Are we are we giving to the cause of Christ? When budget causes get tight, the Christian school budget gets low, or other Christian causes are strained, do we figure that that's just something for somebody else to take care of? Now, we cannot give to every charity. Otherwise, we become a charity. Right? We become a charity. But we are to cheerfully give what we can, we can faithfully. And the Lord says that, that if we're not faithful in these things that don't last, then how can we be faithful in the things that last forever? One who is faithful in very little also is faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is, is also dishonest in much. If then you haven't been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you haven't been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? But if you're faithful in them, you know, the, the, the things that we have today are a test. They're, they're a prelude to the things that are coming, you say. And so if you're faithful in them, you'll show that way how the faithfulness of the Lord has touched you. And you'll be fit then to be faithful with the things that are coming. In fact, there'll be people who will welcome you to those eternal riches when you've, when you've touched with your generosity others. You know, giving to the cause of Christ, giving to the mission of Christ has eternal ramifications as God uses those funds to, to help bring other people to the gospel. But you know, that's how much impact our giving has. It has, it has an eternal significance. 
Are we faithful in the use of our talents? Or are we wasting them and not working to hone them and, and improve on them as a witness to the Lord's faithfulness in our lives? Are we faithful in the church? Are we uh, assembling when we're called to assemble? Are we participating in church life? Or do we weary of it? Are we ones who can bear the burdens of others? Or do we leave that for others to do? Because also the you know, we, we can always count on those people to do it anyway, so just let them do it. You know, Proverbs 25, verse 19 says that like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. We don't want to be a bad tooth or a lame foot simply because nobody can count on us for help. Can we be counted on to treat others in the church with decency and respect? Do we ask ourselves, if everyone were as faithful as I am, what would the church look like? You ever ask yourself that question? If everybody was as faithful as I am, what would the church look like? Now, of course, we're also called to be faithful in our families. Can your children say that they can count on you? To be there when you need them or when they need you, moms and dads. You know, it's a great calling. It's a heavy calling. It's a prayerful calling. Can your wife say that about you, husbands? They can count on you when they need you. They can count on your word. That they, they can say, I can trust my husband. Can husbands say that about you, wives? Can your children trust your word? If you say to them, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you, do you carry that out? Or is that an empty threat that they pick up on like the world often does when there's no fear of the sword because the government doesn't carry it out? you carry out the promises you make to them? Children, young people, I'll say it to you again. Do you want to be like the Lord? Can your parents trust you? Can they count on your help? Do you expect them to do everything? Can they count on you giving them a straight answer when you ask them? It's not just a matter of trustworthiness there. It's, it's a question about whether or not you've been touched by the faithfulness of God yourself, that you're so impressed by how God has been faithful to you that that's how you want to be. Young people, can you, your teachers count on you to do the work that you've been required to do, or do you blow it off? And if you blow it off, I can tell you this, I know there's going to be some of you 20 years from now who are going to say to your own kids, don't blow it off, I did. And that was not smart. But it was easy to do. Don't do it. Can they count on you of being an asset in the class or a headache in the class? What are you like in the class? 
Do you make it easier for your teachers or do you make it harder? Can they count on your good behavior even if you're not in the room? Or do you look for a time, any chance you can get to get away with something? You're not being faithful. Can the students count on the teachers to be an example of reliability from which they can learn? Someone that they can trust. You show up on time at classes. Are you there for them when they need you? Do, do you provide a godly example? Can your employees rely on you to be a fair employer, to treat them with respect? Can your boss count on you to put in an honest day's work in a world that thinks that it doesn't even have to show up every day? Are you cherishing the faithfulness of the Lord in your life by reflecting God's faithfulness in your life? It covers a lot of ground, as you can tell. God's calling us to be faithful to the Lord. God's calling us to be faithful like the Lord. And it's, it's my prayer that that's what others are going to be seeing in your life and seeing in my life. Because we want people to be able to say, you know what, there goes a person who has known the faithfulness of the Father, who sent his Son, the faithfulness of the Son who died while we were yet sinners, and the faithfulness of the Spirit dwelling in our lives always. Because he's faithful to the Lord. And he's faithful like the Lord. Amen. Let's respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for your gospel. When we look back at the history of redemption and we see how you have been faithful throughout all generations and that you will be to the end and beyond. And so, Lord, as we think about the race of, of spiritual faith that you've called us to run, help us, Lord, to persevere to the goals that you've set for us in Christ, what's been marked out for us by you, so that we might be faithful to you and express that also in being faithful like you. And in those ways, Lord, that the Spirit of God may be at work in us to show more and more that he has touched us with the, the love and faithfulness of our God through Jesus Christ. He accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus.